Jennifer and Rachel Kawasaki, and today we're reading from Habakkuk chapter 3. A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet on Shigoyanoth. Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. God came from Timon, the Holy One from Mount Paran. His glory covered the heavens, and his praise filled the earth. His splendor was like the sunrise. Rays flashed from his hand, where his power was hidden. Plague went before him. Pestilence followed his steps. He stood and shook the earth. He looked and made the nations tremble. The ancient mountains crumbled, and the age-old hills collapsed. But he marches on forever. I saw the tents of Kushan in distress, the dwellings of Midian in anguish. Were you angry with the rivers, Lord? Was your wrath against the streams? Did you rage against the sea when you rode your horses and your chariots to victory? You uncovered your bow, you called for many arrows. You split the earth with rivers, the mountains saw you and writhed. Torrents of water swept by, the deep roared, and lifted its waves on high. Sun and moon stood still in the heavens. At the glint of your flying arrows, at the lightning of your flashing spear, in wrath you strode through the earth, and in anger you threshed the nations. You came out to deliver your people, to save your anointed one. You crushed the leader of the land of wickedness. You stripped him from head to foot. With his own spear, you pierced his head. When his warriors stormed out to scatter us, floating as though about to devour, the wretched who were in hiding, you trampled the sea with your horses, churning the great waters. I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The Sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. For the director of music on my stringed instruments. Hey everyone, good morning and welcome to Res City at Home. My name is Joel. I'm one of the pastors here at Resurrection City Church. And like Julie said uh, earlier, I just want to welcome you all this morning to uh, worshiping with us this morning. Uh, one of the, you know, is, this is not ideal. Obviously, we would prefer to, uh, to, to be able to be together in person, all of us gathered together. But one thing I do appreciate is that we are able to meet um, you know, we're all gathered together still, uh, even though it's not in person, we are all still kind of gathered together sep separately in our in our houses or wherever we're watching from right now, but we are together. And I think that it's important to keep that uh, in mind. And, and I, I really love that. I love knowing that you guys are, are, are at home now, you're gathered together with us, you're watching this uh, with us and engaging and worshiping God together with us. So thank you for being here this morning. If it is your first time uh, worshiping with us here at Res City, I just want to offer a special welcome to you uh, as well. Thank you for being here uh, this Sunday morning with us in our living room, uh, hanging out with us. 
We are uh, in the middle, or actually we're at the end now. It's our last sermon in the book of Habakkuk. And this was a, a four-week sermon series that we did. We kind of uh, took it up as a, as a way to sort of ask the question, um, what, what, what does it look like to have faith in God? What does it look like for us to understand when things seem to be falling apart? How do we, how do we cling to God in that time? How do we make sense of what's going on in that time? And today we're wrapping up that, uh, that, that sermon series in the book of Habakkuk by going through the last chapter, chapter 3, which Andrew and Rachel just read for us. Thank you, Andrew and Rachel, by the way, for, for reading that for us this Sunday morning. And t- today what I want to do is I really want to talk about what it looks like for us to have faith when a challenging season that we find ourselves in is not anywhere near being over or has no end in sight, where maybe we don't know what it's going to look like for the next uh, period of time for us uh, to live in the middle of a, of a challenging season. And we find ourselves in the midst of that now. This is um, one of the strangest Thanksgivings um, that you've maybe ever celebrated as we head into uh, Christmas season. Uh, again, it's probably going to look different than what we're used to, and uh, it's hard. Uh, I know that it is like that. Obviously, we've been living in the middle of this pandemic for a long time now, um, and things that are are kind of at maybe their worst point in terms of the, the spread of this thing. And it's just challenging. It's just hard for all of us. Um, and I think what, what Habakkuk has to say here in, in this end of the book has a lot to say to us for how we are going to navigate uh, the, the next period of time for us as well in this sort of world that's been thrown off on its side. Um, not to mention just the destabilization that we have in all other places in our society. So it's a weird time to be alive. It's maybe uh, unprecedented um, for, for you in your lifetime. But thankfully, the Bible is a book of people wrestling through uh, the, the, the realities of, of life in a world where there is a crack in everything, like we talked in that first sermon series. And so we can dig into it to find hope and understanding and endurance and faith in the middle of our own challenging periods as well. So we're going to do that today in this last last sermon in this series. There's a quick little recap in the book of Habakkuk to kind of help situate where we're at in the, in the story here. Um, Habakkuk shows up to God, and we talked about this in the first sermon series, to sort of ask him, what are you doing? What's the deal with all of the stuff that is this broken in our world right now? He cites a lot of injustice and division, a lot of stuff that we maybe feel in our own time as well. And then God responds and says, I am doing something about this. Um, I'm going to be coming and I'm bringing the nation of Babylon to sort of enact my justice on Israel. Israel for all the stuff that has been, uh, all the ways in which you've broken my covenant and really broken my purposes for you. And Habakkuk doesn't understand that. He thinks it's unfair, and so he kind of responds to God, and God shows up to him and talks to him about living uh, and having faith um, in, the midst of, in the midst of destabilization, in the midst of things fo- sort of falling apart. Um, and, and today is Habakkuk's sort of wrap-up uh, to the... Um, to, to the message, to the revelation that he's heard from God as he sort of uh, takes a seat and says, this is what it's going to look like for me as I proceed in the midst of what I've heard from God, even if, even if it's a hard message from God. Um, and, and, and we talked last week about this idea of sort of salvation in the midst of catastrophe. We talked about God saving us or delivering us while we are um, uh, waiting uh, for him to do what he's going to do. Um, and, and, and Habakkuk talks about this in verses 12 and 13. He says, In wrath you strode through the earth, and in anger you threshed the nations. You came out to deliver your people, to save your anointed one. 
So despite things falling apart around him, God will save faithful and faith-filled Israel. Now, I I think there's a difference between deliverance and escape. And I think what we look for in a lot of these these sort of challenging seasons is is escape. But what, what Habakkuk is sort of challenging us to, and we'll talk about this, is endurance rather than escape. And so we'll, we'll talk about what endurance looks like. Now, before we kind of move forward, we get into the passage a little bit more. I want to I talk to you a little bit about this idea of awe. Because when we get into passages like this, and, and Habakkuk reads sort of like a psalm. And if, you, if you're familiar with the psalms, you've kind of read a lot of those. They, they paint a lot of big pictures of who God is. A big, big pictures of his majesty, of his wonder. And so it, it kinda, it's supposed to fill the reader with a sense of awe. And I think we get that in, in this in this. Um, in this passage here. So uh, kind of a feeling of reverential respect mixed with fear or wonder. Now, what I want you to do is I want you to think of something that gives you a sense of awe, a sense of wonder, a sense of this thing is so much bigger than me. Um, And I want you to throw in the comments. I'd love to hear what those things are for you that sort of give you a sense of that that this thing is just beyond me. It it is outside of me. It fills me with wonder. I can't comprehend it even maybe. Um, And for me, that thing is the ocean. All right, and maybe it's because I've grown up in the middle of our continent, right? That all the oceans are like so far away from me; they seem so much bigger than me. But I've been to I've been to several oceans, um, and I, I will say I, I love to visit the ocean because the reason I love to f- to visit it is because it really terrifies me. Actually, um, I, I can get a sense just standing on the seashore, kind of peering out at the ocean, not, you know, it's looking at the horizon, not being able to see any other land, just seeing blue as far as the eye can see, that it is far greater than me. It is far beyond me. I am com- completely insignificant <laughs> compared to it. Um, and, and maybe, you know how a lot of times when I end up at the ocean, it's because I'm on vacation. I'm trying to take a break from, you know, my normal life. And so when you go on vacation, you know, a lot of times you're kind of have space to think about what's going on. And maybe sometimes, you know, you're thinking about some challenges you're in the middle of and that you're getting vacation from a break, maybe from some craziness. And one of the things I always feel when I'm standing at the ocean is just this sense of the things that I am fretting about, the things that maybe I'm carrying with me as I've gone on this vacation to visit the ocean just don't affect the ocean at all. Like it could care less about the things I'm worrying about. It would chew me and my problems up and totally spit them out. That's that's the ocean. It is it is so vast. And I know like at times we, we've been at the ocean witnessing the devastation that it can cause. A couple of years ago, we went to the Florida Keys and this was right after um, one of the hurricanes that had passed through there. And we were able to witness just the damage. Uh, I remember specifically seeing this boat hanger that had was made of like thick metal and had been like ripped apart like it was cardboard, like this massive building ripped apart like it was nothing by the, by this hurricane. Um, and so like just you get the sense that the, the ocean is far beyond me. And even with our best human wisdom, right, we, 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 we think we're so smart, we're so advanced as a, as a society, the ocean is still something that is far beyond us. The, the best that we can kind of do is manage it or manage ourselves in the midst of it. And when the ocean gets truly unleashed, like we can do nothing against it. And, and that just fills me with the sense of like vastness beyond me that, that kind of fills me with wonder and awe. Um, now, I think we have a hard time maybe with awe today. We, we, we don't 
we don't view much with awe. I think maybe that's part of uh, being able to understand how the how the world works so well like in our in our society now. I I don't know what it is. Um, maybe it's truly because we focus on ourselves so much. We have a lot of awe about ourselves, maybe, but not about the rest of the world. But but I think when we when we think about this idea of awe, we should understand that the the, the sense of awe is supposed to be reserved for God. And even the things that maybe fill us with wonder, like the ocean or whatever it is that you think of when you think of that that idea of awe, we understand that God is the one who controls all that stuff. That he's the one that manages it. He plays in the ocean like a bathtub. He he treats this the great sea monsters that swim in the ocean like they're his rubber duckies. Right? That that is who God is. He is so much even bigger than the things that we fill ourselves uh, with awe with. That, that that wonder fills us with. And so I think as we read this passage in Habakkuk, we're, we're, we we understand that he has this sense of awe. He even says it. We'll, we'll talk about this in a little bit. Uh, he has this type of awe about God. And I think that when we can sort of have that type of awe, that type of getting outside of ourselves, it, it leads us to have endurance rather than just hoping to escape things. All right, so let, let's talk about that. We'll, we'll talk even more about that idea of awe um, as we as we go forward. But but let's dig into the passage a little bit. Let's figure out what Habakkuk is saying, what it is that fills him with awe here. So Habakkuk 3.6 says, He stood and he shook the earth. He looked and he made the nations tremble. The ancient mountains crumbled and the age-old hills collapsed. But he, this is God, he marches on forever. So one of the, one of the cool things about the, 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 the verse here that is where it says he made the nations tremble, literally that reads in the Hebrew, he made the nations sort of hop or leap. That's actually the word that gets used there. It, so the nations are like, they're startled, they're jumpy. Um, right now our dog Kinsley is, you can't see her, but she's right right next to me actually here. She's all curled up in a blanket. And, and I don't know if you have a dog like this. She can be a little bit skittish or jumpy, like if something falls behind her or a, a noise, you know, that she's not expecting, she hears it. She will literally like hop, like two feet. She's really, she's really springy. She's really an athletic little dog. Um, but, but that's the picture I have when I read this here, right? Kinsley's in her own little dog world, and something startles her, something she doesn't expect, and she just completely jumps at it. That, that's what happens for the nations here. And for, for, for when God glances at them, that's what the actual word is there, these nations jump. They, they live in a reality that's sort of their own reality they've constructed, that they're sovereign, that nothing can bring them fear, that they're completely untouchable. And so for, for nations and for people like that, finding that there is a God who holds them accountable, right, who, who, who comes to them, is a starting reality. It can be one that they, they reject. And so for us, oftentimes, we can have this sense of like what, what some people call sovereign individualism, that I am a master of my own fate. No one else can tell me what to do or who, or, or what I have, you know, control me. It can be startling to us. It can make us jump to find out that there is something beyond us. But what, yet when God comes, when he truly shows up like Habakkuk is describing here, it really shakes us out of our status quo. It sort of throws our reality uh, on the side. And we, we literally are startled. We jump like a dog who is, who is startled. We, we can't stand against the ocean. We, we understand that. And Habakkuk talks about the ancient mountains from creation rising from the sea to form dry land. Even those will crumble. These things that have been sort of established from creation. That's what he's getting at here, these ancient mountains. 
Now, what do we what do we make of that sort of language? Uh, is, is is Habakkuk actually talking about when God comes, it's filled with earthquakes and and mountains trembling? Is that what it means for God to come? Is that what we should be looking for? Now, and really, when we get into this sort of language in the Bible, it, it's a metaphor. Uh, it, it's kind of like when we talk about an earth shattering event right? When we talk about something that is, you know, it shakes our foundations. It doesn't have to be something physical, but metaphorically speaking, it really, the whole earth is shooken by this event. Um, and so, and this is from a scholar uh, who he says, if, if Caesar dies, if Athens falls, we're not talking about trivial socio-political events. We're, we're talking about events in which the whole complex divine and human fabric is being ripped apart with unforeseeable and terrifying consequences, right? That, that's the kind of events that are being talked about here. The whole earth seems to be shaken. What we understand about the earth seems to be shaken. And I think that's the, the type of uh, events that, 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 that we can look at sometimes, right, around us in the world, and we can as- ascribe earth shattering to them. That's the type of, of sort of destabilization that Habakkuk is talking about. And maybe that resonates with us a little bit um, in our own time in place here. Let's jump to verse 16. Habakkuk, surveying all of this, he's rightly disturbed. He says, I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. So Habakkuk feels this sense of dread as he surveys the landscape around him. Right, as he looks at his current situation, he can't help but, but, but feel decay creeping into his bones for his legs to tremble. Yet he says, I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. I'm going to wait for God to sort this out. I'm going to wait for God to come and, 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 and take care of Babylon. That's what he's talking about here. He continues in verses 17 and 18. Though the fig tree does not bud, And there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my Savior. So Habakkuk, he's he's surveying what is going to be a bleak outlook, and he's aware of that. He understands that things aren't going to be fixed tomorrow even though he might like that. He might like that. Or he might like to escape from his problems. He might like to run away from them. He instead says, no, I'm going to have endurance. I'm going to display this incredible trust and joy in God despite this sort of bleak outlook. Now, for us, our circumstances might be different than Habakkuk, right? There's no invading army. There's no vision from God that's kind of coming on us, explaining why all the stuff that's happened in 2020 is happening. But still, like, we might look at it and understand that we're in this for the long haul. COVID's not going anywhere, right? The sort of destabilization and polarization we're experiencing as a society, that seems like it might be here to stay, right? This this injustice that we've talked about a lot at Res City uh, in the past few months, that's not going anywhere. That's a, a staple of any society, right? There are just, and there are no easy answers to any of it. And we talked about that in the first sermon series, that d- despite the fact that we might scramble to sort of pin all the problems on one thing, it's just not the way that the world works, right? Things are much more complex than that, right? And so w- w- we can't we can't search for that stuff. We can't think we're just going to fix the problem if we easily do this thing or that thing so that right that's the that's the outlook we have right things look tough and they're not necessarily looking like they're going to change 
Yet despite all that, Habakkuk is telling us that God is working even if there are no grapes on the vine, even if the crop fails. He's saying that this is when God is doing his work, right? And I think we hear that and we think, well, that's not how I would like God to work, right? I would like to see God working in a way that's not subtle. I would prefer God to show up in a big bang, a big flash, and just fix all of our problems, just like that, right? As soon as I cry out to him, boom, he shows up and he solves my problem. I think we would prefer that God would sort of act like lightning, right? If we're talking natural phenomenon, we would like lightning. Crack in the sky, unmistakable, can't help but see it, causes a big flash. But really, lightning is is just that. It's just a big flash. The, the most damage it can do is maybe start a tree on fire. The biggest thing it can do is maybe start one house on fire or something, right? And that's not trivial, right? But but like that's not nothing compared to sort of other natural phenomenon that sort of creates far greater impact. So you think about the Grand Canyon, which was created over time by one river just sort of pushing its way through and carving out this massive canyon, the Colorado River. That's the way that God tends to work more, is in this slow, subtle way, but one that has great and lasting impact in ways we can't see. If we just look at it sometimes, we don't necessarily see the impact coming, but we should rest assured that that river is truly carving out a great great canyon, even if we can't see it in the moment. That's the way that God works, and that's the view that Habakkuk has. Even though things don't look great right now, God is still working in the midst of it, and his impact will be far greater than the maybe the big flash I want in this moment. All right, And we can have hope in that. We can have endurance in that. But how do we get ourselves to that point? How do we get to the place emotionally that Habakkuk is talking about here? I, I want to have that as our application today. I want to kind of land this, the, the, the rest of the sermon on that point of how we get to that place, using what Habakkuk says in this prayer itself to sort of help us to understand um, how, to, how to get ourselves there. I think we can get so focused on us and what's around us in the current moment and we can we can look at threats to us, hardships, discomfort, anxieties, joys, maybe pursuits of happiness, sort of these little things. But faith and the faith that Habakkuk is talking about really sort of pulls us away from ourselves and the sort of tyranny that the present can have upon us. And so our first point of application here is is faith is rooted in the awe of God. Okay, remember we talked about this earlier in the passage, this, that, that, that awe is sort of experienced by Habakkuk here, and I think that sense of awe sort of shapes him to view everything that's going on around him in a sort of bigger light. So he says in, in Habakkuk 3.2, Lord, I've heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. So this awe of God sort of lifts his gaze beyond what is immediately in front of him. Uh, and, and, and I think for us, we should understand that true awe will lead to a change in us no matter what we're going through. The ocean stays the same no matter what season I'm experiencing, right? It remains vast and, and, and potentially terrifying and, and, and wonder-inspiring no matter what I'm currently experiencing, now, Habakkuk, he's been to the ocean. He's marveled at it. He knows how big this God is, 
and he knows that this God controls the fate of empires. He knows that if even if an empire is coming upon the nation of Israel to do some real damage, that God is above, far above every empire in the world. That, that he, is, he, he uses them to do his bidding in, this, in the same way that we might throw an order in on DoorDash, right? That's how God sort of controls the events of the world that are going on in Habakkuk. And so while it may seem terrifying to some, to Habakkuk, he knows that this God who controls everything and who is for him is the one who, who, who is calling him to faith and endurance. And that gives him some hope. And so despite his knowledge that things are about to be rough, he knows that God remains above it all and works in it. And so he can have endurance that is, is greater than a sense of just escaping it. Now, okay, how does he receive this awe? This is a question I think you, you maybe have. I think the assumption is that Habakkuk must have had some like experience or God must have spoken to him unmistakably in some like sort of radically life changing or life altering way. That's the only way you could sort of have that awe of God sort of established in you maybe. But actually you may be surprised to, to, to learn that, that Habakkuk says, repeat these deeds in our day, these deeds that give me awe. In our time, make them known. Remember mercy. He, he's talking about stuff that God has done. He's reflecting on God's fame, his past deeds, and he says that that stuff specifically is what gives him awe. And so for us, and this is our second point of application today, faith is a constant dialogue between past, present, and future. I think we like to look just at what's around us in the present and sort of try to grab our faith from that, okay? But, but for us to really have a sense of awe of God that leads to a sort of faith that, in, that gives us endurance in the middle of hard seasons, we have to be conversing with the past as well and then extending that on out to the future. Faith gets us out of the tyranny of the present because it invites us to ask what God has done and when we're asking what God has done, we're, we're approaching the question of who God is. Because like I'm saying, the, the present can have such a grip on us. It, it's the lens through which we view the future, right? We have this tendency to look at what's happening to us in the present and say, oh, this is how it's always going to be, whether things are really good or really bad. And I think really maybe the pride or the despair that we can carry forward in seasons, both the pride and despair being things that we want to avoid, I think, as Christians, those come from the same coin of overweighting the present. You know how when you feel good, when you, you crush it at work or whatever, like you have something you're excited about and you just think, man, I am the boss and I'm going to kill everything that happens to me from here on out. I have arrived. Man, I am the best, right? Or when something really you know, hard happens and you're filled with despair about what's going on around you and you just think, man, this is what it's always going to be like. This is, this, is, this is my new reality, whatever is going on around me. So uh, the reason we, we have those two things, which are really just two sides of the same coin of overweighting the present, is because we're doing just that. We're, we're looking too much at what's going on around us in the moment, and we're not looking back. Faith isn't just God responding now to whatever we're going through, right? I think we can have this sort of, what have you done for me lately, God, sort of view to things, right? We can look around us. We can say, man, right now, God, I don't see you working. And that makes me think you're not for me. That makes me think you're not in control of everything. That makes me think you must just hate me. Um, but, but 
But really, God doesn't have to constantly prove himself to us because he has done things in the past that have proven his character. And we should rest in that knowing that he is doing the same types of things he's always done now in the present as well. And when we, when we have that view, we can have endurance now and hope for the future. That's that sort of conversation I'm talking about, this dialogue between past, present, and future. And Habakkuk specifically kind of leans his, his hope, his faith, his endurance on stuff God has done in the past. So, example, we see this in verse 3. God came from Taman, the Holy One from Mount Paran. And actually, he throws in a, a, a Selah there, which is like, supposed to cause you to stop and reflect a little bit on what he just said and you're like really just reflect on god just he's giving like a you know his coordinates like he's giving us a itinerary for where he came from but where he came from is actually really significant and and and, and in his in that coming his glory covered the heavens and, and his praise filled the earth now now temen and parah are lands that israel had traveled through after the exodus so so the exodus event the story of israel's great liberation from the the tyranny of a slave master and the greatest empire the world had ever seen at the time, which is went toe-to-toe with God and totally came on the other side as big-time losers. Like, um, that, that's what uh, that's what Habakkuk is rooting his sense of who God is and his awe of God in, that is looking back at what God has done. This establishment of Israel is for Habakkuk, this sort of eternal event for Israel, a a paradigm of who God is and the terms of the covenant relationship that they would have with Israel or with God, that Israel would have with God forever, for kind of extending on this sort of binding of God, God's self, this great God, right? This awe-inspiring, wonderful God binding himself to Israel in love and faithfulness no matter what happens to them. And so how God acted then is always how he was going to act. Just like the ocean retains its character, majestic but untamed, God himself is majestic. He's untamed, but he's deeply loving and he's deeply committed to his people. Israel had seen his glory. They'd seen his praise fill the earth as he brought them from slavery to the promised land, just like he said he would have done. And because of that, they could rest on what God was doing in the moment now. Now, we are not great at reflecting. I really think as a society, we just are not good at looking back at what has happened in the past. We're always looking forward. We're always looking at our present. And, and so because of that, we don't go back to what the relationship is sort of has always been. Um, we're always trying to make others or God prove prove themselves to us. I think we're always, we always have that view that things could change in the, you know, God could change his mind about us because we're not rooted in what God has done or who he has been in the past. So Habakkuk looks at, at the Exodus and the journey narratives, but for us now, living centuries after Habakkuk, we can look at what God has done to Habakkuk, to be faithful, to deliver Israel, just like Habakkuk ha- had believed. And we also have Advent to look back to, to, as a sort of reminder that God has come in Christ to deliver us. And so this is our third point of application today. And one that is that I really want us to sort of set our minds towards as we enter this Advent season now, which we just kicked off this Sunday morning. Thanksgiving ending is kind of, right, the, at least in my opinion, Thanksgiving ending is supposed to be the signal that Christmas is here. I know for some people that like any leaf turning orange is the signal that Christmas is right around the corner. Um, or anytime snow comes that that means Christmas is right, the, right around the corner, which is really confusing. Because in Minnesota, you know, we're going to get snow 
like way earlier than we should uh, every year. That's just the norm, right? But but regardless, regardless, Advent is the season that reminds us that God is coming. And so that's our third point of application. Faith focuses on God coming to us. And, and when we think about that, we have to really root ourselves in the fact that Advent season is upon us. Because the whole point of Advent and, and Christmas, the Christmas season, it's not Christmas cheer. It's not just family gathering. It's not just gifts or music. It's not eggnog. It's not other seasonal food that comes along with it. All that stuff is great. I love all that stuff. I know a lot of, I know you all do too. We should celebrate it. But, but the point of Advent and Christmas is to reflect on God coming to us and deliver us. And, and specifically God coming in the incarnation, in, in the form of a, a small child, in the most humble way imaginable to deliver us. Um, and this is why we build reflection into our calendar in holidays and in and a sort of restructured reflection. And, and you know, s- some churches have a higher sense of this than others. And at Rest City, we do try to reflect on some of the church's calendar. Things like 21 days of prayer, which we're hoping to do. Christmas season, really leaning into Advent, um, Easter and, and Good Friday. Uh, and, and, you know, we don't do a specific Lent thing, but we would always encourage people to, to, to look at Lent as maybe something to, 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 to engage in every year, right? The church has this calendar that it has put up that I think is a challenge to this sort of insatiable future fear that, can, that we always have. When we really lean into these sort of uh, established times of reflection on who God is and what he's done, the, 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 the tyranny of the present sort of loses its grip on us because we can transcend it. We can move outside of it. And Christmas and Advent is a reminder that God has still come. No matter what has happened in 2020, no matter what's happening nationally, globally, or in your own personal life, God has still come. That's, that's what Christmas is a reminder of. God has still come to us. Nothing is changing that. This season, as weird as it will be, we, we, you know, uh, your holiday season may look different. You may not get to be around family. It may look different. But despite all of that, despite all of the sort of trappings we throw up around Christmas, maybe not having that this year, God has still come. No matter what this Christmas season looks like for you. And we should celebrate that. We should reflect on it. And that should lead us to have a sort of hope and a joy. And I think maybe if we lose some of that stuff this year, it might be hard, but it might be a good thing for us too, right? Uh, without some of this sort of unending go, 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 like constant running around that we have at Christmas season or holiday season, we might actually have some margin, some space to really reflect. And that's a really good thing. So I'm like begging you, Julie and I both are going to be begging you this Christmas season to please don't let the Advent season, the Christmas season go by and... Uh, without without by wasting that time use this time to reflect on the fact that despite everything not going like it's supposed to go god has still come and 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 nothing is going to stop his coming to us in christ in the incarnation and in salvation and deliverance and in peace and in hope that is still true this christmas season no matter what the next few weeks look like for you 
All right. And we got to lean into that. And we are going to try to lean into this as a church, right? We, we, we're going to be doing Advent on Sunday mornings, just like we did here a, a little bit ago. We're, we're sending out this Advent devotional that we've actually had people at Red City get together and write this. It's really cool. And, and, and uh, Julie just sent this out here a few days ago. But if you want it, uh, you didn't get it. You didn't get it on that list. And really, I'm really asking and encouraging you to take part in, in Advent this year. And we've actually, we're trying to give you stuff to help you do it well. So you can email me or, or Julie or sign up online. Julie's telling me sign up online here. That's the best way to get it. We'll get you that Advent Evo. Okay, or find other Advent stuff to do as a family, whether it's w- with your immediate family, whether it's with your roommates or whether it's with your community group. Try to find some ways to do Advent stuff. Okay, let's, let's move into this last point of application here. And I'm taking this from Habakkuk 3.1. All right, this is actually just the introduction to the, the song that we're, we're reading here. But there's actually a lot of good stuff to be gleaned from here. So Habakkuk, or the, the, the writer, whoever's compiling this, says, A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet on Shigianoth. Now, we don't know what Shigianoth means, but we know it's some sort of description of a type of, of hymn or worship thing. And so this intro, the description, the, the instructions around what you're supposed to do with this passage, it tells us that it's a psalm. It's a hymn to be used in the worship of Israel. And so Habakkuk intends for this, this, this poem he's writing, the song he's writing, of endurance, of awe, of wonder, uh, of, of faith, towards God in the midst of hard seasons, he intended it for it to be reflected on and sung in community, in community gatherings. They were supposed to have this faith strengthened together in community, not just on their own, not just driving their car around, maybe listening to a worship song by themselves, but actually together as a community. And this is our last point of application here today, is that faith happens in community. There is, there is strength in social circles, all right? And there's a lot of, there's a lot of data behind this. Um, there's a really famous study um, done at a town in Framingham, Massachusetts, and it was a 5,000-person town and a Yale study that, that had kind of been studying these people over several decades, not just one group of people, but actually their kids had agreed to sign up in this and do this study as well. So lots and lots of years of data on this. One thing that they found is when, when someone in the community was happy or sad, that sort of happiness or sadness would sort of ripple out through the rest of the community. Just by being in, in, in community or in relation with one another, um, one person's mood or, or their feeling would sort of impact everybody else. And, and there's other studies that have been done on this as well that you can look up to sort of see the impact of your social circles around you. But what, it, what is true, kind of undeniably true, is that your social circle has an impact on you. Whether you, whether you like it or not, the people you're around have an impact on you. Now, you can't choose for that to matter, or you can't choose whether or not that your social circles have an impact on you, but you can choose to put yourself in the right sort of social circles that are going to have the impact on you that you're looking for, okay? And so when those around us, the people in our church family here at Res City, when, they're, when we're exhibiting faith, in our faith family, which is what the church is, that faith is going to be contagious. It's going to impact all of us. No matter what we're feeling, we're going to sort of feel the effects of that community faith on ourselves, right? So while we're trying to avoid catching certain things from each other right now, and that's why we're working, that's why we're doing this online, we, we want to catch faith from each other. We want that to be contagious. So listen, this is a tough season right now. Uh, it is 
obviously very hard and it's not ideal that we're having to worship together this morning sort of separated. We can't do community group in person. We're having to do that over Zoom as well. But if you sort of take this as, as a time or a reason to remove yourself from community, so sort of disconnect yourself because that's more convenient right now or it's too hard to go online and do stuff, um, you're going to find yourself start to, to be pulled towards the tyranny of now, to start to find maybe despair in the present to, or maybe find an unhelpful awe of self or, or to find pride or despair in the moment. Those things are going to start to creep in as we're not connected to our faith family. And so I'm encouraging you in this tough time, don't stop connecting with one another. Find your faith, the stuff that matters right now for us in this hard time, understand that that's strengthened by staying in community, by by working hard, even in this not ideal situation, you will find that you're better off for it. Please don't give up on Sunday mornings because you can't be there in person. Please don't give up on community group because Zoom is tough right now. Please don't give up on on, 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 on being just in community in any way, whether it's talking with me or Julie about stuff you're going through, whether it's talking to other people in the church about what you're going through, like just don't give up on that right now, even though it's tough because you will be better off. You will be better equipped to face the storms of 2020 and beyond better if you're doing it in community, if we're doing it in a sort of communal faith with one another. So what I want to do is I want to pray to close us and then we're going to enter into a time of communion. Um, if you have communion stuff available to you, go ahead and grab it right now um, and go ahead and get creative. <laughs> if you don't have uh, bread and grape juice or wine around, grab a crouton, get a bagel, uh, you know, get get something that will work. I, I am giving you permission right now to, to be creative so that you can do this sort of communion with one another. Um, so let, me, let me pray here though and then I'll, I'll lead us in communion. Lord, we, we pray that you would fill us with faith right now, which would lead to us having endurance in the middle of a tough season. One that one that does not seem to have a, a quick or easy ending in sight, Lord, um, but, but one that we are still called to endure regardless, God. Help us to find awe in you. Help us to find hope as we look back at who you are and what you've done. Help us to find faith as we uh, reflect on your coming in Jesus this Advent season and help us to do all that in community, Lord, so we may strengthen one another, um, that we may find hope and endurance in the midst of uh, of chaos and, and, and difficulty, Lord, as we do it united with one another in this family that you have called us to at Res City and in the larger church as a whole, God, beyond just Res City. We pray all this in the name of the one who has come, Jesus. Amen.